Good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. We are back with another Android Central podcast this week. Joining me is Nick Sutrick. How are you doing, sir? How cold is it where you are? Uh, currently 38 and dropping. So we're about to get another <sighs> another winter storm, which I don't know. I'm always happy about, so whatever. I'm, hap- I'm happy when I get to see snow, but at the same time, I don't want it where I live. I like to visit snow. I don't want it where I am which is yeah. why I live here. Uh, and it. also joining me is Chris Waddell. How cold is it where you are, good sir? Uh, it's all the way up to 22 degrees right now, but I started off and spent most of the morning in the single digits. Nope. And just I have no snow. It's just cold. Me. <laughs> uh, let's see. It is... That temperature can't be right. Uh, but it's in the 70s here, and it has been a wonderful day that I have not gotten to enjoy because I have been working yay but hopefully i can go enjoy at least a little bit of that those warm temperatures because they go away for us this weekend too sad day but getting back to android we have a fair amount of fun thing well not fun we don't have fun things this week we have a lot of things that are bad and a lot of things that could be potentially bad So we have all the FCC stuff or we have all the FAA and airline stuff when it comes to the 5G uh, C-band rollout, which has been just a complete cluster from every direction. We have Google and Apple who are testifying. uh, They are testifying before the Judiciary Committee right now as we're recording this. So we unfortunately will not be able to talk about what they actually said at the meeting. But it's interesting to look at these bills and how they could potentially impact Apple Uh, Apple, Google, and other such big tech companies. And then we have a number of like small little Google service announcements that add up to some hopefully good news. But anywho, let's let's start off with what has been in the news this week, which has been the the C-band rollout that got stalled again. This is the third time. But... um, So here's the story. Uh, Part of the 5G C-band spectrum is apparently adjacent to the frequencies used by the radar altimeters that airplanes use, uh, which is especially crucial when you are landing or taking off in poor visibility. And so airlines airlines and the FAA have been complaining about the CBN rollout and not, nothing being tested to make sure that there was no interference yet. To which I say, to which I say, yeah, well, y'all could have done testing for the last six months. But anywho, so last they've, week we they've got had even a little... longer than that though, because this stuff oh, yeah. was back in 2019 is when they started writing these rules. So that they've had a lot of time. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it's it's not all 5G spectrum. It's just this this C band spectrum which is only used by AT&T and Verizon at this point. Um, but because uh, last week, the rollout was approaching because the rollout was Wednesday, yesterday. And uh, last week, there was an agreement between the carriers and the airlines that there would be a buffer zone where C-band would not be activated around the top 50 airports in the country I think it was 50 there. And then this week we got an agreement for more airports to have a, uh, to not get the C band quite yet as they do more testing. Uh, 
But that also meant that the C-band rollouts yesterday for uh, for Verizon and AT&T were like, oh, we C-band went live partially in like eight markets or 15 markets, which is just underwhelming as can be. So what do y'all think about this? Because I've, I've been yelling at my TV for most of the week going, why? Why is this a thing now? Because this, this was just so avoidable. Yeah, this is this is certainly a uh, a catastrophe or whatever you want to call it that could have been avoided. Like there's there's really no excuse for the airlines to make saying that they didn't have enough time, that they couldn't have upgraded their equipment, because from what I understand and from what the FAA said and the FCC, I believe, um, newer altimeters have basically no problem figuring out what spectrum is needed to be used to avoid interference. Whereas some of these other planes are using older ones and they're not built to basically look for anything in this zone because previously there really was nothing that would interfere with it on a large scale like this. So, you know, like like we said earlier, they started writing these rules in 2019. If this was really a problem that would cause, you know, what what did they say, 100,000 people to have their flights delayed and all this stuff every single day? You know, if if there were uh, if there was inclement weather, then they should have gotten off their butts and probably upgraded the equipment. <laughs> well, but also part of the reason that we have the uh, the buffer zone agreement is because they want to test if there's interference at each particular airport and uh, airport to see that there's nothing that will cause interference with that particular network, wherever that is. And with that topography, and I'm also thinking, okay, well, those towers had to all be installed in the last two years. And whenever they were installing them, they were obviously testing them and making sure they worked. So why weren't they coordinating with the FAA or the airlines in order to get them tested while the carrier was testing the rest of the equipment too? Like, they already had to come and test everything. Why would you not just do all of it at the same time? Yeah, it's, it's, to me, it just, reeks of negligence and, you know, from several areas. I mean, there are several agencies that are involved in this. There are lots of companies that are involved in this. There's a lot of money riding on this. Um, Both AT&T and Verizon complained about the fact that they spent $65 billion on this Spectrum license and they can't properly use it. (laughs) It's like, well, I mean, that's, that's kind of the FCC's fault there for licensing it off in the first place and not getting the approvals correctly. If that is the case, you know, and and then, of course, like we said earlier with the airlines, I mean, this is it's a cluster. I don't know. It's just it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's (laughs) it's everybody has been passing the buck to somebody else. For sure. Nobody wants to pay for this, basically. Yeah. But at the same time, because I mean, what the airlines have been saying is true. If there is interference, yes, it could be a danger to flights and passengers. But we haven't seen any of the interference yet. This has all been hypothetical, really. And if C-band was that big of a factor, that would have shown up when literally any of the other countries that have been using 5G rolled out their spectrum in that range. Right. Because other countries already have that activated. Yeah, they they said um, over 40 right now. Um, now Well, they said over 40 for 5G. But remember, we've got different classifications of 5g c-band is it somewhere in the middle it's not the it's not quite millimeter wave and it's not quite sub six if i'm remembering my bands correctly 
Right. I don't so know how this... many of those 40 have C-bands, but I'm, I have to imagine at least some of them do. Yeah, from, from what I understood of the statement, they were saying that there are 40 countries that are using this particular band. Now, I know um, if you go back to the article Jerry wrote, uh, I think it was published this morning, um, he talks about how specifically Europe is not using quite as high. So they only use up to 3.8 gigahertz, whereas the U.S. licensed up to 4 gigahertz. And the altimeters use between 4.2 and 4.4 for their readings. So, you know, you have a, a 200 megahertz gap there, which, I mean, depending on how sensitive the equipment is, you know, theoretically, that shouldn't be a problem. I wouldn't say your Wi-Fi router has a problem, you know, going 200 megahertz off the mark on, on a usual day. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about altimeters to specify, obviously, how, how good these things are at getting the exact spectrum for their readings. But, you know, like they said, the newer ones are able to deal with this better. So that's, to me, that's the biggest problem here is they were not responsible enough to do what they were supposed to and now are facing... Well, when you say there, you got to name the actual party because there's a lot of parties involved here. They didn't do a good job of getting their stuff upgraded would be the airlines. Because a lot of airlines have fleets that are... 20 or 30 years old. Right. And a lot of, uh, especially because a lot of airlines either canceled or delayed their uh, Boeing Max 8, uh, the Super 8 or whatever, uh, 737 Max 8 that had the computer problems. So a lot of airliner uh, airline companies should have newer fleets with newer equipment and they haven't quite transitioned over as much yet. Right. But and at then, the same time, this is a problem you knew was coming and it's a problem you know you can fix. Exactly. And and the other the other part of that is the FAA has only cleared 45% of the planes to basically perform low visibility landing where this C spectrum could possibly be a problem. And I don't know if that means they've only tested 45% of planes or if they say literally only 45% of planes in circulation are capable of doing this properly without, you know, any sort of issues, you know, which, which again tells me like, what has the FAA been doing about this when again, they have known. So uh, it's, it's crazy. I don't know. It's, it's, it's another preventable crisis, I suppose. Yeah. Been a lot of those recently. Yeah. It's it's great to wait till the last minute because then you can drum it up better. Yes. Yes. Because there have been so many like breaking headlines around the C-band snafu here. And meanwhile, the rest of us are just going, this is stuff that should have been handled nine months ago. Like, what? What the crap, guys? Like, even like just basic levels of bureaucracy could get that stuff fixed. All right. And then moving on, we have... Another Spectrum news thing, although this one isn't going to impact anything quite yet. Uh, there was a Spectrum auction for mid uh, for some mid-band Spectrum frequencies in November, and they finally announced the winners, uh, the winning bids this week. And apparently, Verizon just completely sat this round out. Because the winners here were, well, winners, the ones who spent the most here were AT&T and Dish for God knows what reason. But, uh, so that was interesting to me. But at the same time, 
I do wonder, A, why it's taking so long to just announce the winning or winning bids, considering if you had to bid in November, it's been three months. I feel like that's the kind of thing you could announce like at the end of the month or at the beginning of December at the latest. But at the same time, this is frequency. These are... Uh, there were 100 megahertz worth of bands between 3.5 gigahertz and 3.45 and 3.55 gigahertz. And each bidder was allowed up to 40 megahertz of the spe- of the pie, as it were. And it seems like DISH and AT&T got that and T-Mobile didn't. Which, I'm still kind of confused as to why DISH is still actually trying to win here. Yeah, that's a little weird. Maybe they're just collecting uh Well, I mean, to be fair, part of this has to deal with their... Yeah, part of this has to deal with their... I don't know if it was a deal with Sprint or if it was a deal for T-Mobile, but for one of their deals, they uh, Dish was supposed to, like, seriously actually go at it to try and make a fourth viable major network. Yeah, that was part of the recent... That was part of the merger of T-Mobile taking over Sprint. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Because I I knew it came out of one of those discussions. But Dish basically hasn't done much of anything yet. And they're running out of time to do so. So I'm happy that they got at least some spectrum to bolster their 5G network. At the same time, I kind of wish they could have got... either. I either wish they could have gotten more or that there had been more available for all parties involved. But I understand that it's a limited spectrum and bidding is fierce. Yeah, I believe their window was five years from the closure of the merger to actually launch a viable fourth carrier option. Because I know they got some spectrum from T-Mobile out of that whole thing, it, whether it was from actually T-Mobile or Sprint, I don't, I don't remember, but out of that deal. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. And, you know, it's, it says in here also that, you know, T-Mobile didn't sit out completely, but they're saying that mainly what was up for auction here didn't cover uh, or was wasn't as important to T-Mobile because they already had a good chunk of what lies, you know, in the same similar range. So it's, uh, I'm curious with AT&T's big pickup, um, what they do with it. And it's, they obviously, and Verizon seems like they could utilize as much band as possible with their um, falling behind 5G networks. But it's weird that Verizon just completely stayed away entirely. Well, Verizon has also just been hyping ultra-wideband for every nickel it's worth. Even though we just don't have a whole lot of phones that support it yet. I I love it because as you say that, there's literally an ad on the page I'm viewing for 5G ultra-wideband from Verizon. (laughs) So there you go. It's inescapable. Yeah, no, that's a big marketing push. But then you look at the list of 5G phones that actually have ultra-wideband and it's like... Okay, I went from a list of like 100 phones that I could pick from to a list of like 30. And more than half of them are premium flagship phones with premium flagship prices. Right. And how many places are you really going to get great coverage for that in right now? Not as many. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, that's the thing. That's the other (laughs) thing about it. Ultra wideband only really helps you in cities because they're better for densely populated areas. Because they don't have as much range, but the range that they do have, they have they can produce higher speeds and they can be more efficient. But again, that's it's not it's not going to help anybody living as far outside of a metroplex. Like I'm a good 
30 miles from the heart of Orlando. Even if even if Verizon deployed ultra-wideband here, I'm far enough away that I will never see it unless I happen to be in town for some kind of errand, in which point I will see it for 10 minutes or however long I'm driving, and then the minute I leave town, it'll be gone. Like, more mid-range spectrum that can have reach and have a slightly higher efficiency I want more of that to be available for more networks because that is the 5G that is actually going to be useful. Right. I mean, I, I'm, I've been really happy with what T-Mobile's been doing. Like, at my house, I get 270 megabits down. Like, that's crazy. And, you know, I'm, I'm in Asheville, which is not the biggest market in the world. It's not terribly small either. But in the past, like I know when they did the LTE rollout, it took forever to get here. Like it, it was 3G for a long time, especially if you go anywhere outside of the downtown area. And now it's like, I'm not in downtown where I live. I'm not in the boonies either, but I have really good 5G coverage here with, with T-Mobile. And it's, I don't know, I've been happy with that. I have a feeling that Verizon's strategy will pan out in the long run. Probably not unlike how their LTE strategy went when that started going and T-Mobile was stuck with HSPA you know, plus plus hyper edition, whatever they wanted to call it. <laughs> but it, regardless, it's been great here with this. So we'll we'll see how how Verizon's works out for those other markets that aren't dense cities. I will say for AT&T, 5G coverage has been pretty decent for me where I have used it. It's all just been the low spectrum, though. Like I haven't seen any of the millimeter wave yet on AT&T at all, anywhere that I have gone. But at the same time, millimeter wave is less functional. So I understand that AT&T has been focusing on reach rather than speed. Yeah, and I'll be surprised, you know, where I live. I I do live in a a rural town, and and I'd be shocked if it ever sees millimeter wave or any meaningful amount of time from now. Um, T-Mobile, though, like, like Nick was saying, does do a good job. Nick actually covers... Um, you know, the town pretty well in 5G and we don't get quite as fast as speeds. I, I think I've seen in between 150 and 200 megs, but um, it's it's pretty good considering it is a small town of, you know, 10, 15,000 people as the big city in my area. It'll be interesting to see how long it takes for any of the spectrum that was auctioned off in November to actually get used and deployed because that takes a fair amount of time after these bids come in. But until then, we're stuck with the phones and the 5G that we've got right now. And speaking of phones that were having networking problems, the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro finally got an update on Friday at 5 p.m. Because what is time? Ugh. I was halfway through my editor's desk and it was going to be about the Pixel 6. And then that update dropped. And I was so happy to get the update. And then I just had to throw out everything I'd done for the day. But again, having an update that actually fixed things for the people who had major issues was great to see. I'm happy that it came as early in the month as it did, because I was I was genuinely thinking it was going to show up on like the 25th, the 28th, like the end of the month. I was expecting them just straight February, honestly, (laughs) like at this point. Yeah, that could have happened. But yeah, no, I'm I'm super happy that it came. I'm. Grateful for the people, or I'm very, very thankful for the people who can get use a uh, call for me and call or a hold for me and call screening again because that was disabled for a lot of people who downloaded the December update. 
Thankfully, I was not one of those people. And thank God, because uh, call screening is the greatest thing on earth. It's it's funny because it I didn't realize they did that until one time some spam call came in and I went to hit the button and I was like, the button's not there. <laughs> what happened to my button? Yeah, I know. I had was... to re-enable it. Yeah. But um, the update has seemed to fix a couple of things. It's, it seems to have made the problems that were the problems that came from the original firmware for those who didn't get anything later than the November patch, which I had a Pixel, I have a Pixel 6. I basically hadn't seen an update since other than the little fingerprint sensor update in mid-November. But that had been like basically the only update I got before the January update. But my phone was perfectly fine. But I'm very happy for those who had been like facing serious issues because again, the December update uh, seriously broke some phones, like couldn't get a signal and use the phone as a phone bugs. Yeah, it was real weird. I don't know. I don't know what in the world was with that. I mean, I'm with you. I think we already talked about that, though. I, I didn't have any issues. And I had sideloaded the December update because I never got that mid-month November fingerprint sensor patch update. So I went straight to December just to try to get some uh, relief on that front, which it has certainly made it better. It's it's not as good as Samsung's ones, but it's usable now. I don't complain every day like I did before. I have had consistent performance out of the fingerprint scanner for me, but A, I'm currently not using a screen protector. I need to install a tempered glass one and see if that completely throws my experience out the window. But B, I think it's just also that we're so used to just being tap and let go that people just let up early instead of just holding your finger on the fo- on the screen until the phone unlocks. Yeah, mine, I, there will be times where I'm like, I press it, I press it again. I'll purposefully smash harder just because I'm annoyed and it still doesn't work. So it, it, that's definitely not my issue. <laughs> Whereas like if I grab this S21 FE and I stick my thumb there, boom, it unlocks. I don't think I've ever had a time where it's not unlocked. So See, I've had, I, I have issues. I have partial issues on all in-screen fingerprint sensors because again, smaller fingers means I sometimes it's very easy for me to not cover all the sensor. Um, and the Pixel 6 hasn't had as many of those issues for me as Samsung phones have. Interesting. It's actually been nice for me because it's like, oh, it's a finger. Like the big, the bigger issue with the fingerprint scanner that I have is that uh, if you if your phone wakes up and then you swipe for notifications or anything else, it brings up the number. It brings up the pin pad and you don't get the fingerprint option on that screen the way that you would on a Samsung. Because like on Samsung, it's. If you swipe up to unlock, there'll be the fingerprint sensor and then there'll be the pin pad or the keyboard above it in order for you to manually put it in if you don't want to do the fingerprint. And I kind of wish that Google could do that. Yeah, that would be nice. It wouldn't be that hot. Yep. Because like I'll 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 swipe to I'll, I'll accidentally swipe because I'm so used to like smart lock and my phone being unlocked. And then it's like, oh, it's the pin pad. And then I have to swipe back and then do fingerprint. Yep. I do that at least twice a day. <laughs> so I'm right there with you. It's annoying then you need to use smart lock so you don't have your phone lock as often. Seriously, guys, smart smart lock will set you free if it's, you it's use it properly. It's been a long properly. time since I've used that, but I need to re-enable it. It just... But don't you wear a smartwatch? No. Oh. <laughs> I don't. You need to fix that, too. I, I don't because I hate typing with a watch on my wrist. Oh, uh, so I get that. I just, 
you know, if I leave the house, I will typically put it on. But while I'm home, I almost never wear a watch just because, yeah, like I said, I, it bothers me. How big of a watch are you drawing? Like literally anything on my wrist irritates me. If if it's oh. leaning up against a desk, like I, it's fine for like 30 minutes. But, you know, if I'm pulling a normal day shift, it drives me crazy. OK, I can I can understand some of that. I don't traditionally <laughs> do a full day's worth of work at my desk. I do like a good portion of it, like either from my couch or from somewhere out in the ah, out in the wilderness yeah, of Walt it. Disney World. And so there's nothing for it to rub against. And so I'm just basically using the laptop in my lap and nothing rubs against it. And the watch just is perfectly fine. Yeah. If I was using my laptop more often, that would definitely be the case because I don't typically rest it on, you know, the the pad part. You might also just need to get one of those longer uh, palm rests under a keyboard. Uh, yeah, I've tried that. If, but if I'm at my desk, then I have wrist issues using that. So I just it's it's better uh, for me to just not wear a watch. <laughs> all righty. This is this is too much. Uh, oh, I can't even remember the name of the game. The X-Men versus Street Fighter. Is that it? I, I forget now at this point. But whatever one it was back in the day that my brain Wait, is apparently Capcom dead and can't Marvel remember. Thing? Yeah, that was it. Good Lord. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, what is this? I can think of it in my head. That was that was amazing. Wow. OK, anyway, so <laughs> I played way too much of that back in the day. I got horrible carpal tunnel from it and I'm still feeling the effects now. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I thankfully didn't have enough controller gaming as a kid to really develop any of those skills, but I've use my phone so much that I sometimes get the I I sometimes have my left hand go numb from either holding supporting my phone with my pinky finger or just overextending my thumb repeatedly. Oh, I've had that happen. And then before. my hand will just go numb for yep. hours. It's it's not common, but I have had that happen before and it's a weird feeling. It's a very weird feeling. <laughs> RSI suck, guys. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Moving from an update that fixed something to an update that broke something, uh, NVIDIA Shield TV users have not had a fun week, and I'm so sorry, guys, because I haven't booted up my Shield TV in a couple of months, and all the stuff with this update has made me think that I'm probably not going to up. I'm not, probably not going to plug it back in for a couple months more, just until all of this nonsense gets ironed out, because this was a mess. Like, straight up, this was a mess. So the NVIDIA Shield TV was the first Android TV device to get Android 11 last year, last week with the Shield up, uh, Upgrade Experience 9.0. I hate the way they named these things. But this big update brought a lot of small features, but the biggest thing was it brought Android 11. And Android 11 brought a lot of permission changes that apparently weren't fully thought out between Google and NVIDIA when they were working on this update. Because the storage changes in Android 11 included uh, scoped storage. So that way apps couldn't see as much of your stuff. And you could set it to like, okay, you can look at my stuff right now, but you can't look at it again until I give you permission. And that is the permission. Uh, scoped storage is something that had to be enabled in an app. It's something that developers had to add to their apps. And they were told to add it back in either early 2020 or late 2019. I think, but it had, but it was required for any app targeting Android 11 or above. Problem being, none of the Android TV devices were Android 11 or above yet. 
So developers hadn't needed to target it, so they hadn't needed to add it yet. And so the NVIDIA Shield TV update came along, and since none of these apps had those permissions, all of those apps started uh, stopped working with local and external storage. And that produced a lot of problems for a lot of people, especially because a lot of NVIDIA Shield users are people who use Kodi or Plex, and a lot of people lost their Plex servers whenever they did the update and have been basically without for the last week, which Plex also needs additional fixes on top of the stuff that NVIDIA is working on fixing, which makes it even worse. But it's just not, it's not, it's not been a good week for them. And I feel sorry. Um, if y'all are having issues, we have a list of troubleshoots and hot fixes that you can go through and use to get your apps working again on our website. We'll have that in the show notes. But I just, I want to know why this was allowed to happen because NVIDIA is usually so careful about this stuff. Like, the NVIDIA Shield TV outright rejected upgrading, uh, uh, rejected doing a system update until they figured out how to make sure that it would work and actually improve NVIDIA Shield TVs. And I don't know what changed between then and now, but this update didn't make things better. It are it very demonstrably made things worse. Yeah, it, it's a little uh, strange for it because th- this is probably by far considered the best Android TV device, or you know, and any sort of streaming device. I I would say, wouldn't you agree? Or at least yeah, in no, the top I, three. I love the Nvidia Shield TV. I've I've been using the Chromecast with Google TV just because I'm a sucker for that remote and the Google TV interface has won me over. Um, I understand that that's heresy among NVIDIA Shield users, but that's okay. (laughs) I like it and that's all I really need. Um, But the NVIDIA Shield TV is also much more of a professional streaming device, whereas most of these other streamers are just like little like $50 to $100 consumer devices. The Shield TV is what you should get instead of all of this other little stuff because it'll last longer. I mean, I think this update came to the original Shield TV from 2015 yeah, in addition to the 2019, uh, in, in addition to the 2017 update and the 2019 update. Like, NVIDIA, the NVIDIA Shield TV is the longest updated device in Android history. Yeah, I was going to say. If, Even if, if this not, update it's, it's crazy things. Oh, no, it was the longest. It was the one with the longest update history two or three years ago because I wrote an editorial about it and it's it remains true. Yep, it's it's impressive, to say the least. All of this stems from the fact that this was the first Android TV or Google TV device to get Android 11. Not even the Chromecast with Google TV has that yet. And I kind of think that Google did that on purpose and used NVIDIA as the guinea pig to be like, okay, what actually goes wrong here? Because... We have even fewer resources than the Shield has. So if this does anything to performance, we need to make sure that we get it fixed before we roll it out to our own devices. Yeah, I I suppose if you're going to test an update, testing it on the power users that go way beyond the normal scope of, you know, your typical Chromecast user is probably a good decision. Because if it breaks for them, they're probably the ones to also figure out a workaround, right? I've got two Shield TVs. I got one for the 2017, and then I got the ba- the regular tube-style uh, Shield TV from 2019, and both of them got the updates. And the only problem I ended up having was that my I had to repair the remotes um, on both of them. Like I, I had to reset the remotes and repair it to the 
shield tv so it was mm. kind of weird but i'm just glad like i listened to harish last year it was i don't know spring maybe um and moved and got a nos system and moved my portable hard drive that had my plex server on it over to uh, nos so thanks to harish so i didn't have to deal with this issue with this update yeah nasas are great i don't keep enough in order to justify one but I I applaud Harish and all of the wonderful work he's done to bring the glory of NAS to more and more of our readers, because it is definitely a useful feature at times like these. Uh, The other reason I think that this might have been Google playing guinea pig with another device is that none of the apps have been updated yet. And so all of the apps are going to scramble to update for Shield TV users because those are the power users and those are the people who will immediately go complain to developers. So all of these apps will get updated. And then whenever the Chromecast with Google TV gets it in six, nine months, I have no I have no illusions about this being an update that comes to a Chromecast with Google TV anytime soon, especially given the hardware constraints of the device or the storage constraints of the device. But when it does and when other Shield TV or when other Android TV devices get it, the apps will have been updated and be ready for everyone else. I wonder when it's going to show up on smart TVs, like the integrated with actual um, the se- television sets themselves, because those got a different, not only integrate with Android TV and stuff like that, but also, you know, it's playing with, um, you know, each manufacturer's interface as well, like Tizen or um, what do they call it? Not WebOS, I mean, TVOS. For TVs that run Android TV, which is a lot of Sony TVs and a couple of other brands, um, I don't see a reason for TVs with this built in to do the update anytime soon, if at all. If your TV is working perfectly right now, you don't want to mess with that. You can bring new fe- uh you'll bring the new interface, you'll bring new features as you can, but I don't see any of them doing a major Android version update unless it is something that is mandated by Google. Like you can't get this feature without upgrading because it's something that is a much bigger update and more things can break in it and if you break somebody's t- if you break somebody's tv that's much worse than oh i just i broke this uh, I, I broke this 200 dollars streaming device but the tv still works and i can get something else like oh my 3000 tv my 3000 dollars tv is suddenly worthless that's that's not a risk sony or anybody else is going to be willing to take Alrighty, so we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about a bunch of Google services and Apple being Apple. So we will be right back. You're successful in business because you love doing the research, whether it's the state of the market or the next right hire. But when you're low on hours and you still want to do a great job on hiring, who do you go to for help? It's time for Indeed. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you find the right people right now. It'll guide you through every step of the hiring process, helping you find talent with the skills you need with tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. It seems like everyone needs help hiring these days in order to get the employees they need to succeed. And Indeed's virtual interviews help you evaluate candidates seamlessly with no hassles or hoops. It all gets done right in your browser, so it even works on Chromebooks, too. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com ACP. 
Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash ACP. Indeed.com slash ACP. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Alrighty, so... Google Pay has had an amazingly roundabout journey. It just keeps making these little loops and repeating itself. So... Last year, uh, the the big Google Pay like transition from the old app to the new app was more about like streamlining Google Pay, having it do fewer things but do those things well. And now Google Pay is focusing on being a comprehensive digital wallet again. So we have gone right back to an old strategy, which begs the question: Why the heck did we do anything that happened in the last three years? Um, but reports are also cl- uh, saying that Google is looking for uh, Google Pay to possibly be a crypto wallet, which would be interesting. Um, but they're also going to focus on making sure that more of like concert tickets and airline boarding passes and other ticketed events will work with Google Pay the way they work with Apple Pay. And that is amazing news, considering that needed to happen four or five years ago. I'm happy it'll happen now, but. This is way overdue, guys. I don't really get the trajectory of this app. Because I'm like, okay, we think way back to the Galaxy Nexus, right? We had effectively, was it Google Wallet back then? What did they call the thing? I think it was Google Wallet, right? Andrew, I don't know. What, whatever, what, whatever of the 45 names they've, they've used, whichever one it was at the time. I'm like, they were the first to do this crap. Like... We're still talking 11 years later, 12 years later, however long it's been since the Galaxy Nexus came out. And we're still rebranding this thing, trying to change this thing, trying to make it something it somehow has both already been and not been at the same time. It it just it feels a lot like their messaging strategy. I don't know. Like it just why? Why does Google have the hardest time keeping this stuff together? I feel like I... that needs to be the broader conversation of like, what what is happening here? What, why are they so inept at these types of services? Do we even have an answer for that? <laughs> I was going to say, I, I'm not sure I know. Because again, I mean, it just feels like they keep going back and forth of if they want to be more narrow and focused or if they want to try and do everything. Because the last two years, they've tried to be, oh, we're the app that you use to pay, like, pay your friends and, like, uh, make pay- make digital payments and make payments in stores, too, because NFC payments are definitely useful. I mean, that that's basically all I use Google Pay for. But them focusing on, okay, we want to go back to being, like, a full-scale, like, digital wallet solution. I'm like, this is cool. But we need some, A, consistency here, and B, we need you to get off your butt and negotiate with more companies so that way we actually have the feature parity that we need. Because Google Pay is so far behind Apple Pay that it is laughable. Yeah. And I mean, I've used I've used Google Pay before it was called Google Pay. I used it back when it was Android Pay. I've used it for tap and pay for the last, I don't even remember how many phones and for s- several years worth of smartwatches. It's Google Pay is a great service that has just horrible mismanagement and marketing because this is something that you don't need to make it big. You don't need to make it flashy. Just make it work well and the rest will follow. 
and they don't do that. <laughs> right. I think for for me, you know, going back to the comprehensive digital wallet style thing is definitely a win. I'm glad to see that. Um, I also liked that users can store other digital currencies in this, so Bitcoin and things like that, like other crypto payments. I thought that would was cool that you would be able to start using that. So I guess, again, back to the comprehensive digital wallet portion of, of the deal, like this is where all the things go. And I feel like that's a really good place that they need to be because you think about those wallet cases where, I don't know, I, I personally wouldn't want one because I don't want everything on my phone in that way, right? Like physically on my phone. But digitally having that in there is a lot more convenient because then you know you open your phone, you go to the thing, you have all the stuff there. Like you have all your tickets. Um, my CES ticket was in Google Pay, you know, when we were going to go to CES. <laughs> yeah. And and it's nice to know that you can just go in that thing, boom, here's all my barcodes, here's all my NFC things, here's all that stuff that I need to make a transaction of some kind or get entrance to a place. They even talked about vaccine passports in there. Like, it's it's nice to have this go-to place. I just, I really, I really hope they stick with it this time and don't rebrand it again, redo this again. Like, this is the problem they had when Stadia was announced. Everyone's like, that's great and all, but we don't trust you worth anything. Because you've done this too many times with too many services. And I wonder if any of it will make a difference. We just need consistency, Google. And for a company that has been around, has tons of money and tons of committed, like, millions of diehard users, just do a good job. And don't worry about being the flashiest out there. Apple's going to be flashy. I want you to just be consistent. Well, and I think one place you don't want inconsistency is the thing that houses your money. Holy cow, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, passport, vaccine, you know, things like that. Like those, that's not information that you want to be in a place that doesn't know what it's doing. I like, can't make up its mind is inconsistent. Like that's terrifying. Right. I love the idea of it, but I don't know if I trust Google to keep their crap together long enough that I can trust them housing my financial documents and other important pieces of information well i mean i've used it for like storing loyalty cards since god 2012 yeah i I have a bunch in there i don't ever use it for that but they're all in there (laughs) i hardly ever use them anymore because the only saved pass that i use consistently on google pay is my annual pass for walt disney world because i use i can just tap my phone to get in and i don't have to worry about putting on a magic band or anything like that it's just wonderful but just being able to like pull out my phone and pay for gas, pull out my phone and pay. Well, not even pull out my phone. I have Google Pay on my wrist now. So I just double click the button, hold it up to the terminal and then pay. And then I can just take my stuff without having to get out literally anything. And that service alone is useful. I wish that Google would focus on useful and consistent features rather than trying to just like, oh, we quit trying to get attention just do what you do best and attention will and you'll get the attention you deserve but anywho google pay is not the only app that is having trouble with direction and relabeling itself and uh okay so we have two bits of youtube news the first is that youtube originals is officially dead 
although we all basically knew that two years ago. The uh, uh, the Google, uh, the YouTube Originals division has been shut down. Most of its key, uh, most of its key executives have moved on to other services and other roles. So yeah, original content, original from Google con- or original from YouTube content is basically dead on the platform. But at the same time, that doesn't really matter because the content that people care about on YouTube didn't come from YouTube anyway. It was all these cha- all, all the streamers, all the channels, all of the official like, oh, I w- I want to see the latest trailer or I want to see trailer reactions or I want to watch I want to watch my critical role episodes. That's the content that people paid YouTube premium to bring them ad free. So I I understand why originals came and then almost immediately left. Cuz YouTube is just not that platform. YouTube is not a competitor for Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime. I feel like the originals would have done better on YouTube TV. Yeah, I could yeah, I could I see that. Cuz cuz that at least makes sense. You know, you have Apple TV, you have all these other services like it fits on that kind of platform. And I feel like, at least to me, subscribing to something like YouTube TV regularly is a waste of my money. Because it has so many of these other channels and stuff that, you know, I'll never forget. Okay, quick, quick side note, that's related. During the Olympics, we subscribed to YouTube TV for two months so that we could watch the Olympics and the Paralympics, right? I think the first day we were watching the Olympics, my son goes, why are there so many commercials when we pay for this? (laughs) yeah yeah, that's pretty much it like i don't (laughs) this type of service is weird to me anymore so at least they could um subsidize it i guess we'll say by giving me original content that doesn't have all the freaking commercials all the time because some of those are just oh man they're crazy like trying to watch demon slayer on hulu on the regular plan good lord a 23 minute episode (laughs) takes 48 (laughs) minutes to watch like it's crazy yeah i know i don't know Uh, i yeah. <laughs> you you need those original things. Yeah. Original content would have been a boon for YouTube TV the same way that uh, Hulu with live TV is like can lean back on the Hulu content of being like, oh, hey, you watch all these other programs. Just a few dollars more and you get to watch all of the Hulu original content and all of our on demand stuff that doesn't have commercials. Yeah, it's it's a much better value incentive can or can have no commercials. Yeah, and I, I th- you know, there is a, a Hulu plan we could pay for to get rid of those commercials, but I'm like, <laughs> I pay for it. It's worth every dime. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm cheap. I don't want to deal with it. I don't I don't watch enough on it to care that much. It's annoying when I do watch, but you know, whatever. Neither here nor there. I mean, I I t- I totally hear you. I I I've never willingly paid for cable just because I'm like, why would I pay for? Yeah. Oh, why would I pay for content that I can't rewind, has tons of ads in it, and isn't and is mostly stuff I do not want and do not want to contribute to its existence. (laughs) Right. Like I do not want any of the finance channels. I do not want to see Fox News. I just want to see regular news, maybe some HGTV and some Food Network because I gotta have me my good eats, and that's it. Or in in the Disney channels, that's it. Yep. But. Anywho, uh, getting away from streaming and commercials and all that, we also have another little tidbit of YouTube news, although I think it's kind of a bittersweet thing, but you can finally do an annual plan for YouTube premium. The problem being that you pay for 12 months, but it won't auto-renew. 
So you have to remember every year to go re-up. And chances are the price for the annual plan will go up every year. Yeah, I was just going to say that. That's probably why they did it. Yeah. They don't want to guarantee that $108 price for the year, which is yes, it's a good price. <laughs> like it, it definitely is not bad. It will never be as good as the pricing that the YouTube, uh, that the Google Play Music subscribers locked in at, which is probably part of why YouTube is having to raise prices for everybody else so often. Um, <laughs> yeah, but they're, I'm... They're, they're a small chunk of the market, and most of them are those guys. <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> well, we do know that there is at least a sizable portion of people who are paying for either YouTube Premium or just YouTube Music, because. Um, the statistic that was shared or reported on this week that showed the breakdown of the music streaming market by brand service, Spotify was 30%, Apple and Amazon were both 15%, and then they had a couple of others, and YouTube music was 8%. And that number sounded high to me, even though I love YouTube music and I recommend YouTube music to at least half of the people that I know. Because YouTube Music is a has unbeatable selection, but it's also an app with some fundamental flaws. So seeing that it had 8% of the market meant that there's a fair number of people who are paying for YouTube Premium. Or at least I hope they're paying for Premium and not just Music Premium, because that is the biggest ripoff in music. I'm trying to remember, either of y'all YouTube Music users yep. as well? I want to say y'all are. Yep. Yeah, I am. Yep, been on it since the early Google Play Music days. Same. I mean, you get you get in at that price, and it's just I'm never letting this expire yeah, that's ever. Exactly. Always have your secondary payment plan ready to go because the moment that that lapses, you will never get it back. <laughs> Probably not. Oh man, yeah. I, I I think I've said it before. I I use Spotify from time to time when I can't find what I want on uh, YouTube. I almost called it Google Play Music. <laughs> <laughs> on YouTube music. Rest in peace, my buddy. Right. But it's few and far between. I mean, I, I would say a handful of times a year, I'll go to Spotify just to listen to something. And then usually eventually it'll come up on YouTube music. And that hasn't really been an issue lately. Like that was that was more of a problem when it that first switched over. That was more of a problem two years ago. Yeah, exactly. When it first switched over, that was more of a problem. But now I, I think there are still, like if I go through my playlist, there are still... A few songs that'll have the little, you know, it's grayed out and there's an exclamation mark on it because that album is no longer on the service. So if I want to listen to that stuff. Yet. Yeah, it's not available yeah. in the US or, you know, whatever, whatever the excuse is or the reason, I suppose I should say. <laughs> I have to go to Spotify typically to listen to that stuff, but there are not that many things anymore. Well, yeah, because if you have the music on YouTube, everybody can listen to it. They might have to listen to it with ads if they're not premium subscribers but easy that's just easy oh i want people to listen to my music here's where i put it right yeah i have it happen uh, uh, not a whole lot where music is you know i'll have like a playlist in youtube music and you know i'll look at it and there'll be stuff that's grayed out like you're saying but i still have it fairly often my bigger complaint between youtube music and spotify is that i'll go to my i don't pay for spotify but so i've got a free account but when i go to my release radar on uh, Spotify on Fridays, like there'll be plenty of songs on there that aren't on YouTube music, which is frustrating. Um, like as a single, whether, I mean, not even an entire album, but the, the part that's more frustrating to me that ties into that is YouTube music's like 
discovery and exploration, like surfacing artists that specifically on new releases, like that, that you follow and it still doesn't notify you, Hey, this artist has a new album. Like why the, to me it's, it's, that happens all the time and it drives me nuts. There's plenty of things in YouTube music that drive me nuts. I mean, I'll remember from, was it last week or two weeks ago that I just started whining about YouTube music and casting again? Oh yeah. Yeah. That is still a massive issue. I don't know how that's still broken. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely bizarre. I'll stop talking about that when it starts being fixed. You're right. But until then, I'm I'm going to complain at every chance I get because Google, this is unacceptable. This needed to be fixed. It doesn't make any the, sense at all. It doesn't make any sense Especially at all. Especially when it worked six Google Play years Music. ago. <laughs> yeah. On <laughs> uh, YouTube or in Google Play Music had that uh, experiment for the fireplace visualizer, oh, which meant that, that you so could do awesome. a U-log with literally any music you wanted. Yep. Yeah, I forgot about that. Actually, that was great. Man, I missed that I service wish sometimes. I that with... I wish they would do that with YouTube music, honestly, because it's like, I don't really care about seeing the album art or the progress bar. Just, yeah, just put on a fire or something nice, nice yeah, and calm. I, I have one my of those eight hour beach loops, but my music playing instead of the waves. Right. Yeah, that, that would be awesome. And it, it makes sense on a YouTube platform, too. Like you would think that the visual aspect of it would come into play when you're casting something. But whatever, I guess it doesn't. <laughs> maybe Maybe someday. Maybe someday. Need to, get a, need to get an earworm in on some of those people. Here's an idea. Take it. Please take it. <laughs> well, speaking of things that were done long ago and need to be redone properly, uh, Google's pro- uh, Google is apparently working on a new AR VR headset powered by the cloud that is called Google Project Iris. I don't know why they're saying it's a new thing for them and not just a resurrection because... They've already, like, they were the original for AR VR headsets with the Google Glass. And I'm still totally bummed that that couldn't become, like, a viable mainstream thing. Because that device was so, had so much potential, that yeah. thing got wasted. Daydream was the original standalone big deal headset. Like, that was the first time I used a standalone VR headset and was like, holy crap, this can actually work. Because, you know, before that, it was mostly just Google Cardboard, right? Which was... It was fine if you found an experience that it was on, wasn't it was programmed nice, like crap. <laughs> it lowered the barrier of entry to VR, but at the same time, you got what you paid for. Right. But I mean, Daydream had a lot of potential that they just they wasted. Honestly, the, the launch was excellent. It had a lot of really cool experiences. The headset itself was honestly, it was worth the money. Like it was it was cool. But I don't know. I just whatever. This is this goes back to the. The Google Pay slash Google Wallet, uh, you know, conversation we just had 20 minutes ago. Um, yeah. So, yeah. All right. In a nutshell, this thing, um, as the original report from The Verge said, they called it an AR headset. But to me, the description seems a lot more like VR, at the very least mixed reality, because they said it looks like a pair of ski goggles. That's, you know, the current prototype. Who knows what it'll end up looking like, which... You know, in my head, I'm thinking the HTC Vive Flow, the one that literally looks like a pair of goggles, that's actually a VR headset. But the difference here is that this one is totally standalone, like, um, I guess, the Daydream. I forget what the standalone one from Lenovo was called. Not the View, but the other one. Um, It's like a Quest. Is that the Mirage? It's the Mirage. That's it. Thank you. 
So it's like a mirage. It's like a quest, whatever. It's totally standalone. You don't have to plug it into something to, to power it. It's its own thing. It's apparently powered by custom uh, Google Silicon, which I don't know. It, maybe it's a slimmed down version of Tensor. Maybe it's something new entirely. In any case, I think the important thing here is not necessarily the form factor or the chip, but the fact that they said it will be using Google's data centers to remotely render some graphics and beam them into the headset via an internet connection. Now, the original report wasn't super detailed on like how this headset works. So I think we can infer a lot from that. Initially, when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is powered by Stadia. (laughs) But that's probably going way too far with it. I don't I don't know that this is I, I also like whenever I saw that, oh, it's going to be like streamed from a data center in, in order to like it's going to render somewhere else and then stream to the headset. I'm just thinking, so this is going to be a product that pro- product that is going to be absolute crap in most places because you end up either having lag from whatever, either a bad Internet connection or just being too far away from a data center like I get that Stadia has improved, but ask anybody who's played Stadia <laughs> fall outside of a major city how their issues have been. Right. Wait. And that, that 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 immediately just says all the problems that we're going to have with this because it will be the exact same game plan. Right. I can refer you to a, an article I did last year around that exact thing <laughs> is Stadia in a in a, you know, under underpopulated, underserved area for as far as that stuff goes. Yeah, that. It, I can only imagine it'd be as bad or worse than, you know, like as in like Stadia. Uh, it's there's no way this is going to be any good if it's all being streamed that way to the a good chunk of people. Right. I mean, it, so this thing is not um, scheduled to debut until probably at least 2024. So we're talking two years from now. My assumption is it's probably 5G slash Wi-Fi only. Probably more on the 5G front because they they would want you to be able to connect anywhere. Um, I, it's hard to say exactly what the scope of this will be. I would say if they're going to be rendering things on the cloud and bringing it to the headset, this is not a full VR headset because while you can do that and it has been demonstrated very successfully that you can cloud render effectively on and beam it to a headset, you know, using, um, virtual desktop or something like that you got to have a rock solid connection and you got to be close to the data center because that latency will make you throw up faster than an amusement park ride. Well, especially because this is something you're strapping to your face. Right. Exactly. Like, if, if, it ge- if it gives you any kind of motion sickness just from the lag it has when you're doing something on Stadia, just imagine how many like magnitudes worse that would be for something stream- uh, for something VR or AR related. Where depth is a huge thing, right? So I, I'm I'm thinking it, it it's hard to visualize it, but it it probably is more like a mixed reality thing where you have, you know, your view of the world around you. You have the augmented reality, you know, sort of here's information overlaid on the real world thing, and then they they also put some additional virtual stuff in there. Maybe maybe this is the ultimate metaverse device, right, or something like that, where you're you have this mix of virtual and augmented reality, but it's not, you know, fully on either side of the spectrum. It's just somewhere in the middle. Um, I think also surprising to me was that Google reportedly has over 300 people working on this project and they plan to hire hundreds more, which that's kind of surprising to me given how much of a backseat Google has taken with 
either AR or VR in the last several years. And then the fact that the same person who was heading their previous VR projects is also heading this. So I, I don't know. It's just a lot of interesting things happening here, and I don't really know what to make of any of them. I don't know what to make of it either, other than I'm skeptical, but I'm hopeful. Certainly skeptical. Not sure if I'm hopeful. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, for me, VR has never been a great thing for me just because the difference in vision between my eyes is so drastic that that usually tends uh, turns into VR just like straight up not really working for me. Uh, but for AR, I'm hopeful that it's a little bit easier and... I would love to give my VR, AR, whatever money to Google rather than to Facebook. Fair enough. I'm sorry, but I got trust issues. Don't blame you at all. All righty. Well, we're going to take another quick break and then come back and we're going to talk about Google and Apple and big tech and concerns and worries and all of that fun stuff. So we'll be right back. There are two kinds of people in the world, those who already know how useful a VPN can be and those who are about to find out. That's why we're here sponsored this week by Surfshark VPN. It doesn't matter if you're at home, the coffee shop, or even visiting the amusement park like me. Wherever you are and whatever you happen to be doing online, using a VPN, a virtual private network, transforms your internet experience in several ways. The first thing is that it encrypts and anonymizes your online data so that your internet service provider can't track what sites you visit. Private tabs and incognito modes don't do anything to mask browser history from your ISP. And if you're on public Wi-Fi, there's the added risk of your data being intercepted by hackers. Masking your IP address is essential to becoming private online. A VPN like Surfshark makes sure that your city, country, and download history aren't linked to your identity. Surfshark lets you use their service on an unlimited number of devices. Laptop, phone, tablet, desktop, PC at home, you name it. Your account is good to go for all of them. And another really cool feature of using a VPN is that it allows you to change your virtual location. Say you're traveling abroad, you can change your virtual location back to your home country and get access to the streaming services you know and love back home that might not be available abroad. Surfstock has over 3,200 servers in 65 countries. We want you to transform the way you enjoy the web. Go to surfshark.deals ACP and use the code ACP to get 83% off plus three extra months for free when you sign up. Check it out, surfshark.deals slash ACP. One last time, that is surfshark.deals slash ACP. Thanks to Surfshark for supporting the show. Alrighty, Google and Apple are testifying right now in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee talking about two technology bills that are basically aimed at getting Google and Apple and Android and iOS to be more friendly for or less it's all Google, it's all Apple and more diverse in its content and abilities. So we have two bills here that are called, unfortunately, they don't have any of the really cool acronyms that we can use. So it's got, we have to say the full thing. So we have the American Choice and Innovation Online Act, and we have the Open App Markets Act. The latter of which is what Amazon or is what Apple is really super up in arms about. But both of them are kind of concerned about the first one. And it's uh, on Tuesday, Google and Apple were both penning 
were starting their PR campaign saying, we no, you, you don't want this. This will hurt the user, not just us. Um, we don't need this. We don't want this. And here are all the reasons that you shouldn't want it for us either. But um, it's, I don't know. I Google says that uh, the... Let's see, what was it? The Open American Choice and Innovation Online Act would lead to wor- worse versions of of Google products like Search and Maps, to which I'm sorry, but that's kind of nonsense. Um, but it would also open, or Google also says it would open up its platforms to more attack vectors and potentially e- uh, making it easier for people to uh infiltrate and extract information or extract uh user info um i'm not entirely sure about how well that one would work um it again it all depends on the language in the bill itself which the bill is really really long and takes a long time to read and i'm sorry guys but i i read enough other stuff for work that i just can't my mind would glaze over within the first five pages but the other act, uh, the other bill that they are considering is substantially easier to understand, and that is the one that is the uh, Open App Markets Act, which would allow platforms to allow apps to be installed from outside the default app store. Android already does this, so Android, or so Google doesn't really need to fight this one as much. Apple, on the other hand, is up in arms because this would be another judgment uh this would be another law requiring them to allow outside installation outside of the epic uh trial that we had a few months ago i would love to see an app i would love to see legislation requiring this i also just know that anything technology related in congress tends to get six kinds of messed up right yeah because i mean i'm I'm sorry but the tech, like the technology committees for both the House and the Senate, are filled with people who know nothing about the industry and know nothing about the subjects with which they are supposed to oversee law legislation and content for, and that kind of sucks because that means that the laws are not being written by people who actually understand what they're writing about, and that tends to lead to things that inevitably misjudge actions and then lead to consequences for everybody yeah in this bill's case i don't buy anything apple says because you know they're they're making a point that oh you know on their app store all of the apps are reviewed by a human and all the updates are reviewed by a human well fine i mean keep making that point when you have market choice in your phones because then anybody who's actually concerned about this stuff will continue to use apple's app store and I can guarantee you the vast majority of users will continue to use Apple's App Store because that's what's installed. That's what's readily available. That's the easiest thing. Easy. Yes, that's the easiest thing to just use. Most people don't sideload. Most people don't use alternate apps. I mean, geez, how many default apps and launchers do people continue to use even when they suck on Android phones, right? This is not going to yeah. change, especially with iOS users. Good heavens. Like, this is the last Apple group of, the, of smartphone users. crowd. Yes. They don't want to change anything. So you make this thing. And it, now, you know, the first bill, if both of these go through, the first bill would make it harder for Apple to make that the default. And I think that's probably part of the problem is both of these together um, lead to bigger issues with both companies. But yeah, at, at least with this one bill alone, 
I don't buy anything Apple says. They're trying to protect their 30% and they're going to do whatever they can to keep that in there because they make a crap ton of money off of that. Yes. Yes, they <laughs> do. And, and because... they would still make a crap ton of money because, yeah. It's... Oh, for sure. iPhones are what people buy for when they don't want to have to do a whole lot of troubleshooting for somebody else. It's the it's the it's easy. It just works. And every you get all the apps, you get all the accessories. So I don't see anybody in that crowd going super in depth with other app stores unless it's a customization and like root related, which there's already a sizable community around that. And it's not something that people like jump into willy nilly or unless it's uh, centered around like games like the Epic App Store. If that could come to Amazon, if that could come to Apple, then yeah, that would take away a non-insignificant amount of money from Apple. But at the same time, I don't see it like doing any massive serious harm. There aren't a whole lot of people who are going to like pull their app from the App Store and be like, "Oh, you need to come download it from here and manually install it," because Google has that, and Google has streamlined that a fair to a pretty decent degree over the last three years but it's still more than most people want to deal with right and i i think the existence of the amazon app store on android for how long and i would say i i don't i haven't seen numbers so this is all conjecture but i would say the vast majority of users don't use the android or the the amazon app store they probably use the google play store and and that's with this being available on literally every android phone in existence and Amazon offering see, free apps and stuff like <laughs> I could see the Amazon App Store being something that people use if they also have Amazon tablets or if they use um right Amazon free time or whatever it got renamed as um but if they use that service then Amazon uh then getting your apps from Amazon makes sense otherwise Amazon hasn't been as good about apps getting updated it hasn't been as good about security as uh, Google Play but at the same time Google uh Google Play services will scan every app that gets installed regardless of whether or not it came from the Google Play Store the Amazon App Store or anywhere else if it gets installed on your phone it gets security scans yep and after it's installed they still do regular scans of all of the installed apps to make sure that nothing was injected afterwards right so I I don't buy the security claims no. being made for the Open Markets Act. It's total nonsense. And, it, you know, back to what you were saying about people who are modifying their home screen or, you know, whatever they're doing, jailbreaking devices. I That's another one that has always kind of perplexed me about, um, you know, Apple's stance on the whole thing. Like, OK, again, most of your users are not going to go through the risk of trying to root their devices and go through all this stuff. If if you really want to protect against that stuff, you make it so that payment apps don't work. You make it so that you can't use the app store if you've rooted your device. Like not allowing people to modify their devices goes against the, you know, right to repair stuff, which, you know, obviously that's not a a law. It would be nice if it was, but I'm irritated that you can buy a device like that and you can't do what you want with it, even if it's your device. It's stupid. I'm just happy that we're on Android and that allows me to use any launcher I want and make my home screen look like literally anything I want, which reminds me, I need to build my daily theme as soon as we are done here. Unless you're using a Chinese ROM and then, you know, they don't let you choose any launchers. (laughs) 
please, 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 Oppo, give me an international ROM for the Find N. I want to use it. <laughs> All righty. Moving on from that. <laughs> um, the other Apple news that we have this week is not really so much news as it is Apple being Apple. Apple allows you to trade in Android devices for an iPhone the same way that all of the Android manufacturers will let you trade in an iPhone or an Apple Watch in order to get Android devices. Uh, Trade-in uh, trade device values for Android phones from Apple have always been a joke. They just became a little bit more of a joke this week for Samsung devices because basically every Samsung device in recent memory got downgraded, as well as a number of Pixel devices. Uh, so you would get less money trading those in. However, for Samsung devices, I understand why it happened now. Even though we haven't gotten the S22 yet, this is traditionally the time that this would be... This is traditionally the time that we would have been getting the Galaxy S22. And it's the time of year that we got the Galaxy S21 and the S20. Uh, S10 was still in March, right, guys? I'm sorry, time is a, again, time is a flat circle these days. But uh, because these these devices are all reaching new yearly milestones, I understand P Apple charging a little bit less for each of them. But at the same time, oh, if you want to trade in a, br like, almost brand new Galaxy S21 that you paid $800 for, and, oh, we'll give you, like, three-something... That's ludicrous. Like, that's robbery. Straight up. This, this is why you trade in at other places. <laughs> you trade in or you sell it through, you know, third-party sites like Swappa. Do you have a better shot of getting closer to your money there than what Apple's going to buy you at? Or or oh, just yeah. take it to your carrier where AT&T will give you $800 for your old broken piece of crap and give you something new. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. If you have a Pixel 3a XL, Apple will give you $50 of it towards an iPhone and... AT&T will give you $800 towards a new phone. Like, that's that's <laughs> yeah. that's still insane. And I'm blown away that that promotion has been, uh, has been live for so long. Because I thought that was just going to be a holiday trading thing. And then it went into January. And take advantage if you're on an unlimited plan. My family did. And I'm very happy because that means that I don't have to worry about their phones breaking for a while. Knock on wood. But yeah, I mean, trade-in values for other manufacturers always kind of suck. I mean, if you wanted to, tr like, if you bought a Samsung Galaxy Watch 4 and you had, like, a $200, uh, like, a $300 tick watch or a $250 Garmin Vivo Active whatever or a Fossil Gen, uh, Fossil Gen 5, none of those had decent trade-in values if you wanted to get the Galaxy Watch 4. The only two watches that got any sort of even passable trade-in value were the Galaxy Watch 3 and the Galaxy Watch Active 2. And the Galaxy Watch Active 2 didn't even really get that much of a disc, uh, didn't even really get that much of a trade-in value. Trade-in is always a joke unless there is something special running. Because trade-in is not about getting you the best money for your device. It's about getting devices back so they can be recycled and made into new devices or resold at a or resold at a higher price than they bought it from you, so they make a profit just turning around and selling used phones. Yeah, it's funny to me, like, they don't treat it similarly as, like, a carrier does. Because, like, carriers are going to get, like, at and giving 800 bucks for a Pixel 3a. And 
but they're doing that, you know, to gain a customer and stuff like that, you know, and they're, they're paying, you know, T-Mobile will pay off your bill and all that stuff through your other carrier to get you because they're trying to get, get customers. It's straight. It's funny to me that if Apple can get a, you know, seemingly you're getting a new Apple user, um, then, you know, entice that that new user to come over with a better trade value or something. I mean, nobody accused Apple of really wanting to make sense when it comes to getting new people into the ecosystem. Alrighty, but moving on, we have one last little thing before we take our final break and talk about what's making us happy. Um, so this week was supposed to be BET, which is uh, B-E-T-T, which is this big, ginormous uh, education conference in London. The actual convention got postponed until March, but because manufacturers need to put devices out now in order for them to get in through education resellers and be available for schools to purchase by the time March, April, May rolls around when school districts are making purchases, we're getting all of our new Chromebook stuff this month. Uh, This week, we got new Chromebooks from HP, which I'm... There are only two words that I needed to see in that press con- in, in the press release to be happy about, and that is brighter screens. Because especially HP tends to have dim screens when it comes to their lower end Chromebooks, and because Chromebooks are being used basically everywhere now in schools, it's oh you use it in your cl- use it in the classroom, use it in the lab, use it outside, use it on the bus, wherever. HP is finally making an effort to have brighter screen options for its education Chromebooks. And I am super duper happy about that. Um, the other Chrome OS announcement that we got this week was from Logitech. And that is that they are making a version, like the Logitech Crayon is the best uh, iPad stylus for kids. Uh, the Logitech Pen is going to be the best Chromebook stylus for all Chromebook users, whether they're kids or not. Because I've spent two weeks with this thing and it is just wonderful. It's addictive. Um, it has a, a much, uh, the grip goes much higher up on the stylus, which most of the other USI grips, uh, most of the other USI styluses on the market right now just don't even have grips. And because it has USB-C charging that comes out of the uh, back end of the pen, it's a nice streamlined device. You don't have to worry about batteries. You don't have to worry about taking anything apart. It's just wonderfully simplistic. It's the exact form function mind meld that we needed. And the only problem with it is that it's not going to be available for regular people to buy for a while, which is a shame because this is the this is the only stylus you should buy in 2022. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, guys, I had to do that little rant right there because it matters that uh, that we're getting better styluses for Chromebooks because Chromebook tablets are finally becoming capable full featured tablets that outpay uh that should and uh could and should replace android tablets whenever you're buying your next one because even something is even something like the 200 dollars lenovo chromebook duet from that was 2020 now right yeah uh even something like that it will be supported for four years longer than whatever Android tablet you put up against it, even a Samsung one, because Samsung tablets only get four years of security updates. The Lenovo Chromebook Duet is going to get uh, up both system and security updates until June of 2028 at least. 
Uh, it supports USI styluses, so you're going to be able to use fancy 4,000 pressure level styluses on it for texting and drawing, whatever, or for uh, handwriting and drawing and whatever. You get access to all of the apps through and uh, for, through Google Play. And yes, I know not all apps are optimized for Chromebooks. I ha- can easily argue the same for Android ta- tablets. Like, there's a number of apps that are still not really optimized for any large screen Android device. And I'm really hoping that that's a priority for Google this year. Uh, but Android tablets just offer a better overall experience. And more importantly, Android ta- uh, Chrome OS tablets uh, can actually be full functional laptops when you need them to be. Like my Lenovo Chromebook Duet might not be the most powerful Chrome OS uh, Chromebook in the world. But I can still use it to do a full day's worth of work if my other la- if my laptop or my desktop dies, and you can't really do full tilt work from an Android tablet for most of us because the app support for productivity mode or um, Dex mode just isn't there. Have either of y'all used any of the Chrome tablets yet, or has it just been me? Nope. <laughs> I've Aww. used I've used the 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 smaller the Chromebook Duet a little bit. My um I, I picked one up around the holidays um, I have an old Chromebook that's about to expire on its updates that my uh, kids use a lot and so I picked up that Chromebook the duet and it's it's pretty cool it's it's small like I I wouldn't be able to use it on a regular basis for any kind of productivity but from a usability standpoint just for you know in, in the way of a tablet like it's great like I love it yeah I, I I mean we've had this discussion before I think but like I would use uh, a Chromebook as probably my daily if it had Adobe. <laughs> I need Photoshop and stuff and I need like the full thing. And I know we have that hey. possible cloud one, but every time I check, it's not available for me. So I can't even test it to see yeah, if it would that... work. Yeah, no, Adobe not following through with a promise it made for Chrome and web users. Just shocking. Yep. I... Honest to God, do not miss Photoshop at all after five years on a Chromebook uh, between web editors and and, uh, either Android or Linux editor app editors. It's just all been easy to use for me and I don't have to pay a subscription. But yeah, no, I, I understand that Adobe has a very strong hold over certain people and certain products. Like I'm assuming when you say Adobe, you're talking about like premiere not just photoshop right it's mostly just photoshop these days but yeah in the past it was also premiere so just just needing more of the creative suite in general to be brought over to chrome i mean there's really there's no reason that it shouldn't be on chrome like it's not like chromebooks Mm. have craptastic processors that can't do anything like hey no that's what i'm saying it's not like they do so we don't have this excuse of Oh, these are just netbooks. They can't handle it. No, it's maybe some of them are, but there are legit, you know, high end Chromebooks that can run this stuff and they just don't have it. Yeah. Even if you restrict the app to uh, Chromebooks that have either an i3 or, or an M3 or above or have a Ryzen 3 or above, that would still allow Adobe products on on dozens of models of Chromebooks that are powerful, plenty capable and most of which have pretty good stream, uh, have pretty good screens and performance. Like, there's no technical reason here. It's just a matter of Adobe doesn't see the point. Yeah. Speaking of your your powerful enough processors, I'm sitting here looking at the your review on the Chromebook Five Duet 
five. Um, yeah. And it, it, I had to laugh because uh, you have Snapdragon 7C second gym sips battery like cognac. And I just had to laugh at that. I mean, I'm sorry, but it does. Like, I can go multiple <laughs> days before I need to recharge this thing when I'm using it like five or six, uh, four to six hours a day. Because, I mean, the, the Duet 5 is the Chromebook that I pull out when I'm not working. Because I can just take the, I can just take the keyboard off whenever I'm reading or whenever I'm doing my uh, daily hour and a half of Microsoft Solitaire. Um, but it's, yeah, the Snapdragon might not do super powerful when it comes to Chromebooks, but it does have efficiency. Alrighty, so wrapping up on that, we're going to take one quick break and then we're going to come back with what's making us happy. Cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. Now that the shiny ball on Times Square has officially dropped, it's time for you to take the cue to make this your cleanest and sexiest year ever. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to help you start your new year off right with an exclusive offer. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com and use the code ACP for 20% off plus free shipping. We've talked about Manscaped products here before and now they're better than ever. The Performance Package 4.0 and brand new Ultra Premium Body Wash are fantastic. The Lawnmower 4.0 that comes in the Performance Package is an electric trimmer designed to trim hair on loose skin. Its advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks and even has a 4000K LED spotlight to help illuminate the parts of your body that least often see the sun. It also includes Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver to keep yourself smelling fresh even when you're all bundled up. Manscaped even threw in their shed travel bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs as free gifts to ensure you can keep it clean no matter where you travel this year. That new product, the Ultra Premium Body Wash, of course, is cologne-infused so you smell good all day long. Better yet, the aloe vera and sea salt packed in will keep your skin feeling nice, clean, and moisturized. When you pick up your Performance Package 4.0 or the new Ultra Premium Body Wash at manscaped.com, don't forget to use the coupon code ACP. That's ACP, like Android Central Podcast, to get 20% off your order plus free shipping. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code ACP. It's New Year, New You in 2022 with Manscaped. Alrighty, we are back and we are here to get away from all of our complaining and talk about what is making us happy this week. Uh, Chris, would you like to start? Sure, why not? I am uh, a fan of good bourbons and whiskeys, and my wife knows this, and she did a really nice thing for me as a Christmas present that I'm finally getting to take advantage of because one of the uh, components was you know, delayed in shipping. But she bought me a whiskey smoking set so I can pour a glass of bourbon mm. and then pick different types of wood chips and put in this little contraption and put a butane torch on it and smoke my bourbons. And it's, it's, been, it's been delightful, and it's been making me really happy. That's pretty nifty. <laughs> it is. Although I'm, I'm, is it just for like drinks or is this this kind of thing that you could also use to like smoke other or add smoke or smoky flavors to other like food dishes? You definitely could if you had the, the right equipment, but I mean, you could do something small that would fit, you know, or, or, you know, a vase or something like that, something tall, but it, it's a little wooden disc basically that's got a, 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 Think of a coaster with a hole in the middle and a little bucket. And then there's a wire mesh like filter that sits on top of it. And you put your wood chips into it and you light the wood chips and then put a little the cover on top of it. And the smoke just 
pours in inside the glass. So you could put something small down inside of it, it you know, small block of cheese or something like that and smoke it. And it's, uh, it's impressive as to how much flavor like comes out of it in one shot. I sent Jeremy our, uh, a picture of me using it for the first time. And his response was, I have no idea what I'm looking at. So <laughs> it's, it's an unusual looking contraption. If you're not familiar, for sure. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like the molecular gastronomy kits. It's like, it's really interesting to look at, but it's also one of those things of until you try it, you don't really get the point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've had a couple of, uh, cocktails at restaurants where they added smoke in a similar way. And it was, it was interesting, the process and, you know, the whole theatrics of it, the smoke pouring out, but it's actually a flavor, um, that complements the, whatever you're putting into well, if you pick the right kinds of woods. Yeah, it's also one of those things that you need to have the right, okay, these notes will complement this, but these notes will also clash with that. Yeah, for sure. Alrighty. Interesting device. Um, Alrighty. So, Nick, what is is making you happy? So I I wrote down the uh, Deathly Hallows, which seems like a strange year to be referencing this book, but um, we have been... Going through all the Harry Potter books with our son for the last several years, we started off with the incredibly beautiful illustrated versions, which if you've never seen those, totally worth looking at. They are the unabridged versions of the books. They only have the first four right now, Um, but it's the unabridged versions plus a whole bunch of illustrations throughout the book. That was a great way to get him kind of hooked into the story when he was younger. And then we started reading Order of the Phoenix uh, was it last year? I think it was last year. It might have been in 2020. And then we've now worked our way up to Deathly Hallows. And we have blown through this book. Like, I just started it at the beginning of January. We're already halfway through. <laughs> so, like, just... That's impressive considering how long that book is. Right. Like, just... I don't know. It, it's so fun going through these kinds of stories with him. Like, this is one of the coolest things about being a parent. It's like, I've experienced this. I can't wait for you to experience this. And, like, he's hooked. I'll read a whole chapter and he'll be like, next, next. And I'll read another chapter. And I'm like, I got to go to work. He's like, no, I want to read. Yeah, I got to I got to check out the the illustrated versions. I've got a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. My nine-year-old loves to read like crazy. And my six-year-old is starting to read. And uh, it'd be cool to kind of oh, yeah. bridge that gap between the two of them with the, with the story, with the more illustrated parts from my younger and my older would definitely love it too and, yeah. and uh, go down that road. Yeah, because like I said, it's the unabridged version. It's not like they cut stuff out. It's the whole book just with uh, illustrations <laughs> in addition. So it's they're beautiful. Um, I think the Illustrated Order of the Phoenix is coming out this year. Um, I, I can't remember what the exact date was, but you know, I'm sure you won't get through the first four. I, I mean, who knows? Maybe you will. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know ne- what your reading never, speed never, is with them. Never make that kind of a claim when it comes to reading. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I've been very happy with that. As soon as we're done here, I'm going to go read some more. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> nice. Have you done Lord of the Rings with any of them yet? Uh, we actually read The Hobbit with him. Um, he loved that. I don't know that I would. I couldn't get through Lord of the Rings. I don't know. 15 years ago when I tried to read it myself. I just it was a little a little too descriptive for my liking, but. I could try it again. I now now I love the movies. Okay, so it's not the story that's the issue. It's his writing is a, a little dry and descriptive for me. And I had the same issue I with mean, like Wheel of Time and some of these other epic fantasy books where I'm reading it and I'm just like, get to the point. 
I love the visual, but man, I, ugh. <laughs> this it feels almost I mean, like a script. Like, hold on, you got to make this movie, so I got to describe the scene in every detail for you. I was gonna say Tolkien doesn't seem that bad when it comes to like the description and the lore building around the scenes. Once you've read Victor Hugo, because <laughs> if you read Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's just like it goes for pages and pages and pages about the cathedral and the architecture and all of that fun stuff. Right, and like the actual story is kind of short. And then it's just padded out with all of this description and this love letter to Notre Dame, which is worthy of the praise, but maybe not like 150 pages of it. Yeah, I'll try it again some point. Like I said, it's probably been 15 years since I've tried it. And I would say my interests and reading levels and stuff have changed. (laughs) The other thing you might want to consider is listening through one of the... uh, audio recording yes. versions uh yeah we were discuss- uh i wound up in the star trek slack channel and we somehow got to talking about lord of the rings and somebody directed me to an audio version that was done in like the 80s and i'm like okay this is interesting i can't w- listen to any of this while i'm working because then i will just start listening and stop writing but this would be really fun to do if i actually had the time yeah we so i don't know it's not to get off topic, but there was a book series called Ferals that we started reading. We're actually need to buy the third book now, but that's one that we like listening to the audiobooks with, even though the audiobooks cost more because the guy who narrates it, oh my gosh, he does the voices so well. Like every character has their own individual voices. As soon as you hear them, you know exactly who's speaking. Like those kinds of experiences are an amazing way to choose an audiobook over you know, just a regular written one because of that. When you have those kinds of narrators, it just, it's great. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. It makes me wish I could listen to audiobooks more, but I'm, I'm just not the type that can register everything and do other things. So if I'm going to listen to an audiobook, that is literally all I do, except for maybe play some solitaire and maybe fold clothes. I can't do any, like anything that actually requires me to use my brain. I can't do while I'm listening to an audiobook. But all right, it's it's sweet to hear. I'm interested in the illustrated versions of the Harry Potter books, but I also recognize that I at, after spending all day reading and writing, the last thing that I personally <laughs> want to do at the end of the day is more reading and writing That's unless fair. I just get that little bit of, uh, unless I just get that little bitty itch in the back of my brain for one of like three or four particular writers. Because um, most of the time I'm just like, you have spent the last 12 hours staring at words. Stop. <laughs> But what's making me happy is, um, this is going to sound weird, but a washing machine that I don't even think is actually a new machine, but I actually got a new washing machine in my apartment today after my last one started making the lights flicker in the apartment while it was running last night. Uh, It hadn't been in great condition since I moved in, and I'm very happy that I'm once again going to be able to trust my washing machine. Now I just need that dryer to die and get replaced too. But um. Less nerdy, but yeah, wash. I got new. I got a new washing machine today, and I got new lights in the kitchen, and I can actually see while I'm cooking. It's a miracle. So that's what's making me happy this week. Yeah, I need to get some better lighting in my kitchen. I literally have one bulb. <laughs> oh yeah, no, they um they the the fixture that was in there before from the previous company that owned these apartments they were these like tiny little led lights that it was a set of four individual ones that you could like rotate to face different directions 
But since it was like a single LED, you didn't get very much light anywhere. So thankfully, when one of them burned out, uh, when they came to like uh, basically replace it, I they can't replace a single bulb. They have to replace the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, can can I get something that takes regular light bulbs this time and maybe something a little brighter? And they brought in a new fixture that has, uh, it's a bar with four full, uh, full regular light bulb sockets on it uh, that you can then position in different directions. And I want to say it's about eight times brighter than the previous lighting thing. And I was just so happy. Dang. It's now too bright in my kitchen, which is a lovely problem to have. Yeah, that ain't half bad, <laughs> especially when you're cooking. Or cleaning. Like, the bigger thing for me is just that it, the, I'm directly make, casting a shadow when... But, uh, for the old lights, I was directly casting a shadow over the sink whenever I would do dishes. So that means you can't really oh, look yeah, at what... Oh, yeah, that's annoying. Because it's like, okay, I'm trying to make sure I got everything off of this dark pan, <laughs> and I can't All of the dirt's tell. in the shadow. I can't see it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess so. it wouldn't be dirt on dishes, but whatever. <laughs> probably probably not, rest. anyway. But yeah, so slightly less nerdy, but still very happy. Very happy for that. Alrighty. Well, that about wraps it up for us this week. So we will catch y'all next week for more Android funness. And God, I'm really hoping that sometime in the next week or two, they tell us when we're getting the uh, Galaxy S22 because I got to know when, like, it can't be that much longer out, can it? They can't make us wait till like April. Could they? Probably not. I can't see that happening. Doesn't That'd seem likely. Alrighty. Well, you can find Nick at Guanatu. You can find Chris at Chris. It's just Chris Waddell for you, right? Chris underscore Waddell. Yep. Yes. And you can find me at Arwagco. We will see you all next week. Have a good one. Bye. Later. Bye, y'all.